Um, first, he's going to review some of the ministries that we are working on over there. Um, and when I say we, um, I have uh, a board based here in Primeville, all Primeville people. God just gave me the most awesome board. Uh, six people that are every bit as part of the ministry, as much part of the ministry as I am, because without them and what they do, I would not be there. And then we is also uh, my partners, James and Ruth. I don't have a picture of them in there right now, but um, I met Ruth when I was still with the orphanage, and when I went back, I knew I wanted to work with her because she is an amazing woman who had already had, uh, they, she and James both had a ministry to their community. And so we're just working alongside. And um, so we, uh, Ruth and I do the microenterprise loans and grants. Uh, that's uh, a gal named Christine. And uh, she actually had a little store and was, the, there's the, the, uh, the way that Ugandans treat each other is just appalling, but somebody came in at night and chloroformed her and her children and stole everything in their house and everything in their store. So she got a loan to restart her business, and this is what she started with was just a few vegetables uh, um, and some bananas. But uh, people build bricks or sell firewood or crochet items or uh, or do farming or a lot of them just buy and sell food and then um, our medical ministry has really expanded in the last year Um, it's been now uh, about two years that I started going north to Kamuli the the district just north of us with a young man named Pastor Andrew where he had a ministry to the pastors and I uh, I didn't know that it was going to happen, but we started a clinic uh, just out under the mango tree beside the church, and it has grown to two days a month um, in in two locations. We do it at two different churches now, and uh, my friend Leanne, who I got to know when I was at Bend Bible in Bend, and we worked together uh, on the ortho floor at St. Charles in Bend, she came over to visit me married my best employee at the orphanage and took off with him and they came to america to um for henry to get his citizenship he he received his citizenship last july they returned in august and since september um leanne has been working with me and actually she's now running it the two months that i'm gone Um, and we see over 200 patients in two days and this year, what we, has expanded a lot is that we are, we are doing follow-up on a lot more of the serious cases. Uh, this is a little gal named Tabitha. After I came to America, the week after I came to America, she had uh, heart surgery to, to close a valve. She, she, was, um, uh, she really was, uh, her life was in danger when we found her, and she'd been, she, she, could, she couldn't breathe. And she couldn't get enough oxygen. And she was diagnosed over and over again since she was a child with pneumonia. But she had um, a hole in her heart that needed a simple surgery, and we were able to uh, help her with that. And we've done uh, three cleft palates and some club feet and uh, broken femur and um, 
cancerous tumor in the face and cataracts and um, hysterectomy and just a lot of things and a lot of malnutrition in babies, lots of malnutrition in children there. Uh, Kamuli is just a really poor district. And so um, our medical ministry has expanded a lot. Next. And then our, our Blue Bucket Brigade continues. These are 10 women. Actually, only eight of them are now active, but those eight are very active in the villages around where we work. Um, taught them just simple first aid um, and supplied them with, with medicines. And we meet together uh, periodically, and we just teach a little more and give them more medicines. And they have done an amazing job of of uh, raising the health of the community around them, in Jesus' name. And then uh, these are just some kids that, with some new clothes on. That's another thing that we do, uh, clothing distribution to, um, and just meeting needs, mercy ministry, we call it, um, if they need blankets, if you know they're sleeping covered up by their mom's clothes at night, sometimes a mattress, um, often clothes, and a lot of food. Next. And uh, this, I think, is one of the most important things we do. I just call it the Ministry of Presence, where we go into people's homes, uh, moving about the villages, and just spend time um, praying with them, uh, sharing about Jesus, um, showing, showing them that Jesus loves them. And uh, then uh, we've also listed, I've listed some of the other projects. We, we're continuing our solar project where we buy... Um, a light for a family that helps them keep their family safer uh, because they're not burning kerosene, makes their family healthier, prevents fires, uh, saves enough money to send a child to school. Uh, we do a limited um, number of education sponsorships where people here in America hear about a child, a particular family or a particular child, and just tell us they'd like to sponsor their education. That is the number one um, expense for families in Uganda is education. And that is what every mother wants for her child. Uh, we do some rental assistance, and um, we, advocate, we advocate for uh, these women with the government, with their local government, uh, with it in town, with the hospitals. Uh, it, we, it's an important part of what we do. And... Um, we do community education workshops. Uh, we have some more planned when I get back. Uh, sanitation, um, nutrition, women's health. Um, we do eye screenings, and we take dental clinics uh, to, the, to the community. And um, we've also done some helping repair homes and building latrines uh, and that sort of thing. Um, next. But those are things we've been doing, and I've shared about a lot of them before. This was something new this year. We did famine relief. Uh, there was a, a famine in tropical Uganda where they get more rain in a year than, than we will ever see, <laughs> but they don't know how to manage it because they've never had to. And so even though it rains during the rainy season, as they've cut down the tropical forests to plant sugarcane, it's changed the pattern of the, of the seasons, and they're shorter and they don't have a long enough season to raise their maize and their beans. And so 
beans especially just died from lack of water and the corn was very stunted and those are the two things that they live off of. So we bought uh, a ton. Um, on, the, on the left, you see, that's Ruth with me. We're in her home and behind there is the uh, silo that was purchased through the Christmas fundraiser that the McKinnon kids did. And it, it holds 750 kilos of maize. And uh, we were able to purchase a second silo, so we bought um, 1,500 kilos of maize. We, we bought more than that, but that's how much we kept in the silos. And we have been feeding people. Uh, the, at the rains actually started in March, and it looks like they will have a harvest. But next... Um, we have wanted to teach our, our people farming God's way. It's a better system of agriculture. It relies a lot on mulching, and it extends your season, and it can make a huge difference in yield. So I sent Ruth to a class um, uh, in December of 2015. She planted the first season. Everyone laughed at her. She planted the second season, and the famine started, and everybody started saying, show us. And, we, and so... It had been very small scale before, but because of the famine, we were able to teach. Uh, I, I sent several more people to training. We had seven teachers in this area, and um, we trained 155 farmers in Farming God's Way, gave them a couple of kilos of beans, and then if they demonstrated that they had used the, the, the Farming God's Way methods, we gave them some uh, maize seeds. And so... Uh, this is something that will make a long-term difference. If everyone could learn to farm that way, we w these people that are barely feeding their family would have enough to feed their family and sell some for school fees and that sort of thing. So um, that is one of the most exciting things to me that we have done this last year. Next. And there's, there's our littlest farmer at one of the Farming God's Way classes. He has a little... They just dig by hand. And he's one of them. Next. Uh, oh, this is just uh, Heather, who's kind of partnered with us a bit. She, she bought some of the beans for us dis to distribute because she got interested in what we're doing. So those are beans we're going to distribute to the ones who come to the class. Next. And at every class, we share the, go share the gospel. I don't know of anyone who has come to the Lord specifically through that, but we discovered some really good teachers and one excellent, excellent, excellent teacher um, that we want to use a lot in the future. And he loves Jesus, and he has, just has a passion to sh share Jesus. He loves agriculture, and he loves the farming God's way. So we believe that God is really going to use Frank in the future. Um, uh, before I start this, I want to tell you a little bit about Akim. Akim is one... Akeem showed up at my gate in February. Uh, he's 23 years old, a Muslim guy, and someone had told him that I, I would be able to help him. Um, he sat on my porch, and he pulled up his pant leg, and I almost, I'm, a, I'm a nurse, and I can, I can handle a lot, but I almost gagged at the smell from his leg. When he was uh, 16 years old, he had a bicycle accident, and his leg had been infected ever since, and a big part of it was just rotten 
just really, really rotten. Um, he wasn't healthy. And someone told someone that I had helped before had said, go to this gate. She can help you. And I started, um, I put him on some antibiotics and started changing his leg twice a week, three times a week, and started sharing the gospel with him. Well, his uh, English isn't, isn't very good, but it's a lot better than my Lusoga. <laughs> and so uh, he started bringing people with him, and I, was, I, was, I would talk to them and ask them to translate. And um, I have to confess that I really believe that Akim was the guy least likely. Even everyone who came with him seemed more interested in the gospel than he, he did. And that's unusual because Ugandans are actually really pretty interested in spiritual things, much more than Americans. That's one of the reasons I love sharing over there. But he didn't really seem to be that interested. But I kept having new chances to share because he brought his brother John, his friend uh, Faisal, his wife, his sister, his wife's friend, his mother, and all these people, I just kept getting to share about Jesus. And then in April, uh, just before Easter, he said that he, he told me the Sunday before Easter, he said that he wanted to follow Jesus. There's a lot more to the story and some things that happened, um, that we show, ways that we showed him that we really loved him. Um, and he said he wanted to follow Jesus, and I said, <laughs> not today, Akeem. <laughs> Uh, what I said was, Akim, when you come back on Wednesday, I want to have somebody here who can really communicate with you because it's so important for you to really, really know what it means to follow Jesus. And so uh, on Wednesday, when I was going to just have um, Annette, Annette, the gal who lives with me, help translate, Pastor Bennard from Kamuli showed up. Pastor Bennard was one of the ways we'd connected with him. And I didn't know until that day that, they, that after they'd connected that they had been talking on the telephone. And, uh, and I told him, I said, I, God sent you because Bennard's coming today. So Bennard talked with him that day. And then on Friday, uh, two elders from my church, Jeremy and Nate, talked with him. And... Just in his response, you know, they, they wanted him to understand that he was a sinner. They wanted him to know that walking the Jesus road is not easy, that his friends would turn against him, his family would turn against him, that it wasn't, you know, if you, if you think it's, if you want to do it to get something, because he had mentioned a loan, and uh, it, this is, that's not the way to do it. If you want to follow Jesus, it has to be from your heart. And he said, yes, he knew he, when they explained sin, he said, yes, he was a sinner. But when he prayed a prayer of repentance, it was so clear that he was really, truly repentant. And he was really born again that day. And he told us that he had been going to the witch doctor for his leg, and the witch doctor hadn't been able to help him. And he came here, and Jesus had been able to help him. And uh, he, that was Good Friday, and he wanted to be baptized, and... By the end of the day, Jeremy and Nate said yes, and so he, we go out to, um, we go out to a, a, an old resort on Lake Victoria on Easter Sunday for a sunrise service. Then we eat a big breakfast. This might find, sound a little familiar because this happened last year with my boat driver Matthew. But 
we went to the service. He brought uh, six people with him. And uh, we had our service. We had our big breakfast. And then we went up to the pool, the public pool. And he was baptized and shared his testimony. And he has come. The next Sunday he was going to come. And, and I, I told you we had some communication problems. So I thought I made it really clear. And I know that their time is different than ours. We're off by six hours. So I made it clear in Luganda time and in Mzungu time. So thought, I thought it was really, really clear. And because we had the sunrise service on Easter, he came at 5.30. And so the next Sunday he showed up at my house at 5.30 in the morning with five people. <laughs> so I had to come up with breakfast for five people because if they show up, you have to feed them. <laughs> Tea and some food. So we had pancakes and went to church. And he has been faithful to come to church. He has brought new people to church, different people to church. And I was saying to the, the elders, I'm leaving. I'm going to go home. And he comes every week to go to church with me because he doesn't know where church is. We change it around every week so that we're all confused. And there's no way he could figure it out. And these new people he's bringing. So they said, we're working on it, we're working on it, we're working on it. And our church has felt like God wanted us. Our church is very young. It's just a house church. And we felt like God has wanted us to plant a church. And so, uh, long story short, uh, two people who are Bible teachers from our church moved out to the village where Akim lives. He doesn't live in Jinja. He lives in Mafabira. And Bunya, the young man, another young man, lived out there. And they are starting a Bible study. They said they wanted to start a Bible study that was geared towards Muslims. It's not a, it's not a, it's just a, there's Muslims and Christians and a lot of animists in our area. And the fact is that a lot of Christians and Muslims are also animists, witch doctors. Uh, but, um, uh, when just before I left, when they asked Akeem, they said, you, we, can, we want to do this. Will you come? We can have it at Tracy's house or Solomon's house or Bunya's house. And he said, why can't you have it at my house so I can invite my friends? And so, and then it's right next to the village. The next village is um, where, where my friend, uh, my Johnny, the boat driver, who's, who now goes by Matthew, lives. And so, so uh, Matthew... And Akim is now David. So Matthew and David are the core of the new church that's planted in Mafabira. And, and I didn't have any pictures, and I said, I have to tell the story anyway. <laughs> so, um, and then I, then I want to share this story, because last summer when I came home, I shared a lot about the Ormas, how God had touched my heart when I took a class here in Primeville, those 18 months I was home, um, the perspectives class out at Eastside Church for 16 weeks, and I wrote a paper about the Ormas, an unreached tribe, um, Muslim tribe, 99.9% Muslim, and one of the few tribes that is still um, hanging on to all their, their own culture, and so they live very isolated. They live in villages with only Ormas, and they, uh, they're very conservative. Muslims are not radical, but they're very conservative. And uh, they've been trying to, trying to reach them with the gospel since the 50s. And it's just been, they've been very, very resistant to the gospel. And God placed them on my heart. And I shared with them, uh, shared about them with Mike, uh, a young man that I met over there. And 
Mike told me that he had gone to the Ormas, and we started getting wonderful reports. And after I went back from here last year, we found out that, that Mike was fabricating almost everything that he told us to scam for money. It's very common. In fact, he had... When I went to his teacher, when we were suspecting, and I went to the, um, the young man who had taught him for two years in a Bible college at Calvary Chapel there in Jinja, and asked Isaac about him. Isaac told me that when he first left school, he went to Kenya, and I Isaac is a Messianic Jew, um, and his parents are missionaries in Kenya, and they went to Kenya, and he scammed Isaac's parents. And he is a, he is a master con man. I work with Pastor Andrew, and Pastor Andrew is the one everyone goes to because he has so much discernment, because con mans are everywhere. You know, people come into church and they've got broken legs and you un, or arm, you unwrap it and they're fine. Just everything. And Andrew has a lot of discernment. And Andrew was completely fooled. Everyone was fooled by Mike. And I was really heartbroken. I was just devastated. And uh, it, was, it, was just, it was just very hard. I, you know, God's name had been drugged through the mud. And... These people that I was rejoicing with, these Orma brothers and sisters that I've been praying for for four years, that I thought were coming to the Lord, it, it turned out that it wasn't true. And we didn't know how much of it was true. Because when we confronted Mike, he continued to lie. Even what we knew then, he continued to lie about it. And um, he agreed to come under church discipline, and then he comp has completely uh, rejected all of that. So um, it was really, it was really very difficult. And in February, um, Gail Barrett and Gay Garner, who live here in town, call me every every Wednesday night. And sometimes Gail Gail or Gay can't be there, but Gail, Gail calls me every week, and they say, "Tell us about your week. How can we pray for?" pray for you and I share with them and we pray and then they send out a prayer letter to a lot of you who are on the prayer list and a lot of other people and um, I said I just wish I could talk to Mike and just ask him what uh, what is true you know what is really going on with the Ormas and the Pacomos and Gay very wisely said Kathy you don't go to a liar to find out the truth and Gail said, Kathy, why don't you ask your Heavenly Father to show you what's going on with the Ormas and the Pacomos? And I went, oh, that's okay. That's a good idea. And that was a Wednesday night. And so that night, that is exactly what I prayed. And the next morning, I got a call from Pastor An Andrew, who teaches at a Baptist seminary there. And he said, Kathy, I have a pastor, Bahati, here. He has come from my classes for about four years now. Um, he lives in southwestern Kenya, and he knows about the Ormas and the Pacomos. Would you like to come and find out what's going on with the Ormas and the Pacomos? <laughs> and so God answered my prayer that quickly and that clearly. And he often does that. I think, he, I, think I must be really slow. 
because he makes things really, really clear to me. And so <laughs> I'm not kidding. It happens all the time. It's like, okay, all right, I've got to spell this out for her. So <laughs> just with, even to, to Andrew using the same words that I prayed to let you know what's going on with the Ormas and the Comos. And when I went that day, uh, I said, yes, and he said, come for lunch. So when I got there, there were two other pastors there. It was Bennard, Pastor Bennard and Pastor Elijah from Kamuli uh, that I work with when I go up there. And, and this group of pastors has come together under Andrew. Um, some of them didn't even like each other before. They have met God in a new way. They've seen their relationship to God in a new way. They're preaching differently. Um, they've left the bad, you know, I mean, one of them had to leave his church because he wouldn't preach the way that he was, they wanted that health, wealth, and prosperity. Um, they are so united. They love each other. And, and they, they formed this group, and they, had a, they, they wanted to do missions. And Pastor Elijah is the missions pastor, and he was there. And so as we talked, going there with no plan for a mission trip, we just we, we heard what was happening, and I can't even tell you how it happened. But by the end of uh, about an hour and 15 minutes, we had a whole trip planned knowing that if, if we went, I said, if we, if we go and we just go to the Ormas, even if someone comes to Jesus, there will be no one there to disciple them. So we need to go to the Pacomos also. And they said, oh, we could do a conference. And they planned a conference, and they, they, they knew what stories they were going to use from the Bible, what scriptures they were going to teach, to teach the, the Pacomos, the Christian Pacomos, that they needed to go to the Ormas. And uh, I called my, or my, actually, we had a board meeting. My board called me. We meet once a month on the telephone. I shared it with them, and they, after some questions, they voted to spend the money for us to take the trip. Um, it cost about, I, I asked for twice as much as Andrew said it would cost, and it cost four times as much. <laughs> but we, uh, fought, um, eight of us, uh, went on a trip. Yeah, uh, the day after Easter, we left for Kenya. We drove for two and a half days to get to the Pacomos and the Ormas. Um, Pastor Bahati, who said that he could tell us about them, he, he is not an Orma or a Pacomo. And um, when, I should have a map of Kenya, but when you look at Kenya, uh, he lives just outside of Malindi on the coast, and then the Ormas are and the Pacomos are north of him. And he is he's a secretary for a Baptist association, so he would travel in that area. So he knew of them, and he knew what was happening. And he had a heart for the Ormas. He'd never had any contact with them, never had any way to know how to reach them. But he was our point man, and he was going to you know, set up all the logistics. When we got there... We picked up Pastor Bahati, and we, we traveled uh, several more hours into the, it, to the village of Witu, where we were going to have our conference. And we parked our van there in the parking lot of the mosque. <laughs> and we walked across the street and went to meet with the chiefs. And they're not tribal chiefs. It's a, it's a, 
political office. And you have to meet with the chiefs. And that's what this is all about. After at, Bahati had made all the arrangements, and yet then they wanted us to come and tell them everything he told them. And then I had to write it all out by hand. But when we went back there to meet with the chiefs, I see four, well, I saw, yeah, I saw four really tall men and one a, a little bit shorter. And I just, the, the Ormas are just striking people. They're tall, handsome people. They came down from Ethiopia. They have a North African look. And I just, I just recognize them from what I know of them. And I said to Bahati, I said, are these Ormas? And he said, yes. And what he hadn't told us was that he had gone, he knew, knew none of them, and he had gone to five villages and had befriended the chiefs and told them we were coming and told them we wanted to come into their village and had prepared them, and they were there to welcome us. And so they welcomed us, and we got some pictures, and then we went inside and did this for a couple of hours, and towards the end they came in and they, they sat and listened, and they heard us um, talking about what we were going to do as much as, I don't know how much was translated into Swahili. They speak Orma and Swahili. And uh, so anyway... Uh, we, we were late, but we went, to our, we went to do the first conference. Uh, we did two days, two half days of a conference. And we did our conference with, we thought the Ormans, and it turned out uh, it, Pastor Bahati had mobilized so many churches. And we had about 70 people at our conference. And what I didn't realize before, as I'm reading all this history, is that it isn't just the the Pacomos who moved into the Orma territory, but many other tribes have too. It is only the Pacomos who they're enemies with because the government created the situation when they gave Orma land to the Pacomos for agriculture, the land where they water their cattle. The government deliberately created that situation. And you read that, but even as we met with those chiefs, they said the same thing. And the, the chiefs were very happy. The chiefs were both Muslims. And they were very happy, we were very open that we wanted to share the gospel and bring reconciliation. And they, were, they said, anything you can do to help the problem between the Ormas and the Pacomos, because no one has been able to, to help it. Uh, I thought that maybe things had calmed down, but what happens is that the Ormas, who are cattle herders, move their cattle inland with the rains, and then they come back every, at the end of the rainy season and they have to water the cattle at the, at the Tana River and the government took all that land surrounding the Tana River. They'd been selling off land to everyone else, but they just gave that to the Pacomos to create the problem. And so the first time they came through and trampled all the crops, the Ormas went and killed some, or the, the Pacomos went to the Ormas and killed some. And it just goes back and forth. And it happens twice a year with the rains. And uh, I thought it had calmed down because I hadn't heard anything about it for a while. But uh, it just isn't news anymore. And they said last season, over 200 people were killed in the back-and-forth raids. So it is not the Christians who are the enemies of the Ormas. It is just the Pacomo tribe. But there are Christians among the Pacomos. And, uh, and there were Christian pastors and leaders at the, this conference. So at the end of the first day of the conference, um, we're sitting around, we're having lunch, 
and kind of sitting in a circle, and I'm at the end. Of, we're on this side, and from here start the, the uh, attendees, and they're talking among themselves. And I said, wait, what, what, is it? what are you saying? And what they were saying was they had been preparing to go to the Ormas. They've been preparing and talking and having classes and studying, and they just had never gone. And I said, when are you going to go? I was so excited. I said, well, we're going to go now because God sent you to give us the push that we needed so we could go. And here we sat at the, at the seminary, and we just came up with what we thought was this great idea that we're going to go and teach them this is what they need to do. And God was already doing that. God was already working there. And he just sent us to give them the push. And they recognized it was from God. And he has a plan. He has a plan to reach every tribe and tongue and nation. And we got to be a part of it. And it wasn't even, you know, we didn't, we didn't really know what we were going to do when we went. But um, after, so after we left um, the first day's conference, we met again with the Orma leaders. And they said, now, what is it you want to do? We said, we want to come to your village. Why? We want, you know, we want to get to know you. We want to make friends. What else? And I said, we said, we want to show a film. They said, about what? And Andrew said, we can't tell him. And I said, we have to. So I said, we want to show you a film about Jesus. And I thought, that's going to be the end of it. Um, and they said, uh, well, we'll have to go back and talk to our, the people in our villages. I didn't realize they were so democratic. But it was going to take a couple of days, and we, weren't, we, we wouldn't have been able to show the film. But there was one big, tall guy named Swally. He's probably about 6'7". And um, he was the youngest of all the, all the headmen there. And Swally said, well, my village is within walking distance. We could go, right, go there right now and ask him. And um, sure enough, it was walking distance. He said five minutes, and it was about 30 minutes away. Uh, he has long legs. <laughs> but as I walked with him, I, I just, he was walking out in front and I went, what's this all about? And I, I walked up and just started visiting with him. He was just the nicest guy. We talked about our kids. We talked about his kids. I asked him about his cattle. I said, I know that, he told me that he, ha he had a herd of cattle. That's how he took care of his family. And I said, I know that the drought has been really hard on the herds. Have you lost any cattle? And he said, I've lost about half of my herd. And it's been, it's a three-year drought. And since then, the rains have come to Kenya, and once again, no rains there. So um, we got to the village. Uh, you, there's always a big tree that you gather under, and he told us to wait there, and people started coming. And when enough, the men were on one side, we were on the other, and the, the women were off to the side. Um, and... Uh, we just introduced ourselves, and then God just gave Pastor Andrew in that moment an amazing um, illustration. He had two men walk across a, the stage holding hands, and he said, in the beginning, this is what it was like. This was God and man. In, in Africa, men hold hands. And so they were, he said they were in fellowship. And then he had him walk across again. He said, and then... And Andrew is a great big dude, and he can look really mean. And he came, and he went stomping, and he just pushed them away, and he just held them away from each other, and just with a big mean face. Um, he said, now, who's the bad guy here? And they said, you are. And he said, that is Satan. And then he had him walk across again and had another guy come, 
And the other guy came up behind him as he's holding these men apart, and he shoved Satan out of the way, and he grabbed man's hand and God's hand and put him back together. And he said, who is the good guy here? And they said, the man that put them back together. And he said, that is Esau. And um, then it was time for them to vote on whether they could see the Jesus film. So I just went and, and mingled among the women. And at first they were like this, and nobody wanted to talk to me. And then finally one woman shook my hand, and the dam broke, and they were just... They, they just surrounded me, and they wanted their picture taken, and, you know, we communicated as well as we could with no language, or very little language. There were some that spoke a little English. And they voted, and they voted to let us come show the Jesus film the next night. <laughs> so when we did, um, there was actually an older man who, who was agitating from the beginning against the film. Um, partway through, the men had to leave and go to mosque, and Swally said, when I come back, we'll talk about it. And when he came back, and, and the man was agitating him, and the young man, he was attacking Andrew, not out loud, I mean, not noisily. I didn't even realize it was going on. But Swally came back, and we had shown just over half of the film, and he said, shut it off now and leave. And they'd actually thrown a couple stones at our, our van, and so... We didn't get to show the whole thing, but we didn't know if we'd get to show any. And for the first time ever, the Jesus film was shown to the Ormus. And then uh, the next morning, we, were, we had to leave the next day. And uh, we went, we, uh, we missed out opportunities to see some of the, go to some of the villages and things. So it's the, la it's the last morning. And uh, next picture. Uh, I think we, I forgot we had these, these, <laughs> next on the, on the uh, video. Um, but we, uh, okay, he's, we're going to, that's the conference. It's in an open-sided church there. Next. Uh, the next day, we followed Joseph, Yusuf. He was the only short guy. Uh, and you can see, it's just it's everything is is brown there. That is a lush tropical place. I have picture all my pictures that, if you look online, they show the Ormas. It's just lush and green and beautiful, and that's what it looks like now. So Yusuf led us next, and we went to his village. We had a flat. That's what it normally looks like. And those that they have very tall houses, uh, that's how they live. And we reached this big village. His village, Swally's village, was uh, three to four hundred people. Yusuf's is four to five thousand. This village, and it's all—all all they have are the huts and one mosque, one big mosque. Next, uh, we had a flat tire. Is next, and so we—we uh, we had to walk the rest of the way to the village. So we were late getting to the village, and when we got there, there were no um, adults around. So we just started interacting with the children. Next. And they're just beautiful children. The boys were much more reserved, especially the older boys with us. Um, but we started uh, next. We, um, we put, put uh, sunglasses on and took their pictures and talked to them. And then when the van got there, we asked Yusuf permission and we... we um, 
uh, took him for rides in the van, and then we realized that we were not going to get to see the, the adults because they were all, it was Friday morning, and they were all at the mosque, and it was time to leave. So I was, I was talking to Yusuf, taking leave of Yusuf, and I'd been told he was going to ask us for money. And he said, um, we are trying to build a nursery school, and if you want to help us with money, um, that's okay. And if you don't, that's okay too. And that didn't seem very high pressure to me, so I asked him some questions. And the nursery school is going to be $500. And they, he had, just by personally going door to door, had collected 300 and they need 200 more. And I didn't make any promises, but when I, when I did my research and when, I, uh, when you design a program to reach them, the first thing I had on my list was education. Education, health care, and veterinary care, uh, ways to reach the Ormas. And um, so uh, I, I'm not sure what God's going to do with that, but I just said, I will come and I will share. And if anyone says, I want to help with the school, then we'll know that God wants us to help with that school. And then um, I was ready to leave. Next. And um, this lady came up with this baby and about three or four other women. And she just walked right up to me. And I realized she wanted me to look at the baby. And when she did, she unwrapped the baby. And he had two stomas, two um, from for ostomies, where colostomy, um, ileostomy, he had had surgery. He was born with some sort of serious issue, uh, but he didn't have any ostomy bags or anything. She, she just kept him wrapped in a, in a um, scarf, and he just oozed all day, and he was in pain. And I just said, God, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. I don't know anything about medical care, I don't, I don't know how to, I, I don't know what we're supposed to do, just give me wisdom. And then Yusuf said, I said, what is it that she wants? And she just wanted um, about $30 for transport so she could take him to his next, uh, his, his next medical appointment. And so we, among us, collected $30 in, in Kenyan shillings and gave it to her, and then I said, Yusuf, can I pray for the baby? And he said, yes. And so I prayed that God would begin to heal that baby and that they would know that it was Jesus. And then I said, um, may I take a picture of the baby and his mother? And he said, yes. And then he went over and he stood right beside them. And he said, this is my daughter. This is my grandson. And I just said, God, what are you doing? Are you going to reach this village through this child? And I didn't know what more would come of it. Um, we left. We headed back to Kenya before we got back to Uganda. Before we got home, Bahati contacted us, and he said, um, uh, Yusuf contacted me, and he said that he is so happy that after the prayers, the baby slept through the night for the very first time ever without crying. And he recognized that it was the prayers. And um, since then, since I came home, um, 
uh, Roba had to go back to, to Mombasa again to the, to the uh, doctors, and when they got there, the doctors were on strike. So Bahati, who's once again in Uganda taking um, a seminary class, contacted me and said they need money to go to, to um, Nairobi. Do you have? They contacted me to see if I have money, and I don't. So I said, yes, we'll send him money. And before they left, Nairobi contacted them and said, stay there. We have a team, and an a international team. So I don't know from where. Someone went to the, to the hospital, did surgery, and, um, and they said that Robe was doing very well. And then they needed money, not for the doctors, but for the other expenses, and so we already had it there for them. And uh, Yusuf keeps contacting Bahati and say, tell them, how, tell them thank you, tell them thank you. Um, they have asked me to come back. And I don't know what God, I don't know what God's plan is, but he started something there. But he's already working there because uh, next, this is my very last thing, but you have to hear this. As we were going the very first day after we picked up Bahati, and he, didn't, he hadn't told us that he'd made all these wonderful contacts and done all these things, on the way up he said, my friend has two Ormas in his church. I said, they're Christians? And he said, yes. And I said, is there any way I could meet them? And he said, let me call my friend. The next day, when our conference concluded the second day, uh, someone said, the Ormas are here. And so they asked them to come up front, and they shared their testimonies, and it was powerful. In fact, uh, the, the one just to the uh, left of me is Abdullah. He spoke first, and just shortly after he started speaking, um, several people got up and started videoing his, his testimony. Uh, he's 30 years old. He was an imam, uh, a leader of a mosque, and he was the teacher of the madras. He taught Islam to the children. And some of the people in his mosque came to him and said, you know this lady that's over here? We found out she's telling people about Jesus. And he gave them the money to buy the petrol to go burn her out that night. As they went to burn her out, she was praying out loud, and he heard her. And he heard her talking to God. And as I said, they're very spiritual. And he said, she, she's talking, she's praying to God. We need to know what, we need to find out what she knows knows about God. I, we're not going to burn her out. I'm going to infiltrate. And he infiltrated <laughs> and became a Christian. And Abdullah, I mean, uh, that's Abdullah. Uh, Bocha, the Pastor Bocha is 25. And when he was a teenager, on the way home from school one day, he said he stepped into the bushes to relieve himself, and God spoke to him. And I'm sorry, I don't have a I, I haven't been able, they haven't figured out how to send the copy of the, of the testimony. So I can't quite remember, but I think, that, I think what he heard was, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And he went home and he was so agitated. He didn't make it clear in his testimony if he told his parents exactly what happened, but his parents called the, the, the imam, they called other people from the mosque, and they came and they prayed for him to be delivered from this 
this terrible agitation that he had, and nothing happened. And then he finally, his parents finally went to bed. He went to bed, and he couldn't stand it, and he got up, and he knew where to talk to someone who knew about Jesus. And he went and found that woman. And she explained salvation, and he accepted the Lord, and he said instantly all of that oppression and that agitation and that fear disappeared. And he said, don't let anyone ever tell you that Islam is a religion of peace and love. It is a religion of fear and hate. And I lived with it my whole life, and Jesus took it all away. These young men, were, um, he, his family stopped paying his, um, his education, but someone else helped him. And both of these men have been trained in Nairobi in, in Bible schools. Uh, they have a church, an underground church, of 38 Orma believers. And they have um, had their homes burned. Boche's mother's home was burned. She's not even a Christian. They've been cha- they've chased from their village. They can't live in their village. They have be- been beaten and almost killed. And they said, please don't pray that the persecution will stop. Pray that we will be strong in the persecution because in the persecution, every time something happens, all the people that we are talking to leave. And then when they see God restore things better than ever, they come back and they say, your God is powerful. Tell us about your God. And they said they have 38 believers, and they said farther north there are more armor believers. They can't even have a Bible because if they're discovered, they will likely be killed. We have Bibles. We have secret Bibles. <laughs> and I only have nine left um, but uh, Pastor Bahati took them to, him, to them when he went home about a week ago. Um, there are Bibles that you have to read with a black light, otherwise you just see um, a blank notebook. And they're created by a young man down in Roseburg um, that Zane, Zane McCourtney, Kyla Salmon's brother, asked me to take some over. And uh, so anyway, uh, I asked what we could what we can do for them as the persecuted church there in Kenya. And they said, pray for us, that we will be strong. Pray for our brothers and sisters. Pray that, the, that, they, that um, if they find out that they're Christians and they cut off their education, that they will have an education. We need to educate our people. We need to send them to Bible school. We need people to be taught the word of God correctly. And they said that... Um, they said, you can see how dry it is here. If, if anyone could ever do a, a water project for the Ormas, that would speak to them. And I said, is there anything we can do for you personally? They said, a church in Nairobi uh, rents their houses and, you know, helps them. But they said, if we had, I, I really had to ask them, but they finally said, if we had the equivalent of $100 a month for travel, we could go wherever we want to go because travel is expensive and it hinders a lot of things there. And so um, so next slide, I actually got to go to uh, Boch's house. And that's how the Orma men dress, Western shirts, but they still, they still wrap. And he went, to, he went back to Ethiopia to the Barama tribe to get a wife because he said... Uh, you can't find Christian wives among the Ormas. But um, anyway, um, 
next slide. I just want to share with you some... Oh, oh, that's just Annette. She was one of my original girls at the orphanage, and she is back living with me. She came back in February. She has been such a blessing. Um, I helped her start a business, taught her how to make um, cream puffs and... Um, and chocolate eclairs and donuts, and, and then she does cakes and everything else. And so, yeah, and so I came home, I came home heavier than I ever have come home from Africa. <laughs> but she, it's just such a blessing to have her there. And that's Henry and Leanne, my friends. Uh, Henry, who worked for me, and Leanne, who's now helping with the medical ministry. Uh, next page. And there are four kids, and I just love them. And that, this is the reason we're there. We, I thought it was sort of unfair of Rory to sing those songs and then ask me to get up afterwards because it just felt like I just needed to sit there and just really talk to the Lord about start a fire in me so all the world can see. And we want the world to see. We want people to know Jesus. That's why you go to Polina and and John Day, and Nepal, and why you send people to Uganda. And that's, that's, why, that's what we're there for. We want people to know Jesus. And um, I, just, I love this picture because there's joy, and that's what we get with Jesus. Life in Uganda is hard. But, but with Jesus, there is joy and there is hope, and that's why we are there. Um, my last slide, I just have some, um, next, some um, ways you can prayer, pray uh, for the new Bible study church plant in Mafabira that, um, that Matthew and David are a part of. Uh, for Pastor Boch's mother, he specifically asked if we would pray about this. His mother is in the hospital, uh, very sick. The medical bills are mounting, and she still doesn't know Jesus. And um, Roba, the, the Yusuf's grandson, the, the, the baby that just had the surgery, and for his health and healing and how God will use that for us to reach the Ormas. And then whether God wants me to go back to the Ormas. Um, I would love to, but I, I'm just waiting for him to tell me. And then um, for our many medical ministry patients and uh, the expenses uh, related to that, and if you could pray for my language lessons. I, I struggle. I'm learning Luganda, but I really need to speak Lusoga. don't have a Lusoga teacher, so I learn one language, try to speak another, and I'm not very good. And they say it's so easy, and it is not easy. <laughs> I have learned a foreign language before. It is not easy. <laughs> and then um, for the financial provision for the ministry, uh, we are in a position where we... We actually have um, uh, probably less than we have ever had before, actually, for ministry expenses. We do have about $7,000 that was raised to buy land, and that land deal fell through, and we're continuing to look for land. Um, with that land, we want to take these women who are struggling to feed their families and, and rent them a portion of the land, and they will pay their rent by farming another, uh, the land that we keep for ourselves so that we're not giving it to them because we want them to learn to not look for a handout. They need to be able to 
take care of their families themselves. And it's what they want. They just don't have that opportunity. We want to give them that opportunity. So we'll divide probably two-thirds of the land up and give women a small portion to raise their food because if they, can, if they have a home to live in and they can feed their families, they can survive as a family. Their family won't get torn apart. And uh, we want them to have the dignity and to, of learning. And then we will have some income from the food that they raise to help the ministry. And, but so uh, we do have some designated funds, but our general fund is uh, at, a, at a very low point right now. And God has always been faithful. We have never had a day when we couldn't do what he asked us to do. And I know that that is true. But then we need to share that we do have that need. And I know that God will provide. And um, I, I was talking to Blaine before I came. I just said, I just, I love coming to this group. I love sharing. This is like I'm home. Um, back with family and people that I, I know really want to hear what's going on over there because you guys have that heart uh, that, that is talking about that where we want the fire to burn in us so that other people can see and they can know Jesus. And so thank you for letting me share. I love it. I love you guys.